If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. This is another of our popular Listener's Choice interviews, which we're playing over the weekend. We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the Listener's Choice winner. If you're not sure how the Listener's Choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com slash choice for the rules and the leaderboard. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. We have a mission to improve the welfare of horses throughout the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers, and that's what these chats are all about. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Today I'd like to introduce Kate Dolan. Kate's a Level 2 coach, coach educator. She's a dressage specialist coach and ridden up to FEI dressage, but now spends her time riding and training show horses and really specialises in training show horses and show riders. How are you today, Kate? Well, thank you, Glenys. Great. Kate, we normally start off with a favourite. What's your favourite quote? Well, currently I think it's value the process over the result. Okay. And the main reason for that is, especially with showing, but all training of horses, all horse disciplines, you have to have that passion and enjoy the whole process, not just be focused on, I see people get that adrenaline rush from big wins and they Mm -hmm. get addicted to that, but overlook all the steps involved and enjoying that, be good at every step, at every level. Yes, yes. When you get in the ring, you know, the competition is in results. Like I say to people, you don't become a dancer and learn to dance at an Estedford. You know, you, you become a dancer and then you compete. And it's similar with riding. Yep, yep. But I think people often want to skip that process. And is that something that you've had to learn yourself? You know, if you think back, because you've had a long career with horses, have you had to learn that yourself and now you're teaching it to others? Or is it something that you always have just loved the training and loved the process? Exactly. I've always loved the training and process and it never occurred to me that anybody would see it any differently. Mm. But I've come to realise that yes, they do. Yes. You know how the assumption is always that people are like you and they're not and you can't expect them to be. (laughs) I have trouble all the time. I think people can read my mind and I get surprised when they can't read my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But they're coming at it from an entirely different angle. So, and I don't think it's a matter of changing that, but I think if you want to be successful with horses and if you really love horses, you know, you're not just in for that ego adrenaline that you can get when you have a success. We, we all love that, but it's only, you know, if they put it down to percentages of time involved, mm. you know, one of those scales maps, you'd probably have the, the narrowest little quarter of it would be, yes. <laughs> would be yes. winning and <laughs> yeah. If you know what I mean. Okay, now starting with horses, how did you actually start? What are your first memories? Well, I was one of those little kids that at two years old, I would be looking out the window whenever we drove anywhere in Victoria looking for ponies and then going horsey, horsey. Mm. And mum and dad never knew where it came from. So, yeah, I was just mad on them. And then when I was six, dad took me to a riding school in Victoria and they said no. I remember it really clearly. They said, no, she can't start till she's 10. And oh, I was like, no. oh, no. <laughs> 
So by the time I was 10, uh, on my 10th birthday, we were living in Darwin. Dad was a journalist and we'd been transferred to Darwin. And he took me to a riding school on my 10th birthday because I never let him forget, of course. Yes. And so I learnt to ride in um, Darwin at Flockhart's Riding School at Berrimah. Okay. And I used to be so excited every week to go. I'd be sick in my stomach and couldn't eat breakfast much to mum's horror. <laughs> and as I got along there, I used to go out there all day and I'd get three rides if I rode the um, just-broken-in Welsh ponies. Okay. So I'd get one ride on, you know, my favourite horse and then the others would be on in the poly saddle with a monkey grip because they used to buck a fair bit. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Okay. So I learned to hang on to that monkey strap, yep. but I didn't mind because I was getting extra rides. So <laughs> that was pretty good fun. Okay. And then uh, we moved from there to Brisbane and I went to a riding school here. I didn't really fit in the same, so then Dad finally gave in and got me my own pony. And it was the first one we looked at and it was $90. It had a lovely curly tail and big brown eyes and he had papers. He was a registered pony. That was my first pony. At our ponds, Mazeppa, big mouthful, Freddie. And uh, <laughs> Freddie did everything. Freddie did pony club, he did uh, eventing, and then he went did showing, and that was how I got into showing because I had my best friend at school was a really good show rider, and my other friend was also a show rider, um, Kathy Galton. She's a vet at mm-hmm. uh, a vet now, but anyway, she um, took me and my pony to Sanford show. And we won champion at our first show. Oh, wow. It was, uh, yeah, she lent me her Steuben saddle and everything. It was wonderful. And so that hooked me then, champion pony hack. Yep, yep. So. (laughs) That's the way people apparently apparently they get addicted to gambling. You know, if you go and you win when you first start gambling, that's how you get addicted to it. So now. You're right. You can, if you win champion at your first show, yeah, you would need to be addicted to it. I know, I know. And Kathy helped me as much as you can. But the funny thing was back in then when I was in Brookfield Pony Club, Geoffrey Hatton came out to do a clinic. Oh, okay, yes. He's a fellow of the British Horse Society and it was like a missionary to the natives. And that was my first formal lesson was with him. Can you imagine that? How lucky was wow, I? Wow. Because someone else had cancelled and dropped out and I got in. And yep. he uh, taught us how to get our ponies on the bit. And I was like, oh, my goodness me. <laughs> this is amazing. Yep, yep. <laughs> so I'd yep. been trying to arch my pony up and canter slow and because I, I used to gallop him everywhere doing pony club and then I'd get frustrated because he wouldn't arch up and canter slow. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Freddie, he had a tough life. <laughs> All right. And then from there, did you come out of, you know, because you're in Brookfield Pony Club, did you look around you and go, I want to work with horses or did you do something else first? Well, I... Yes, I kind of did. I went to teacher's college Mm -hmm. for 12 months and I was doing well there, but I found it really boring. And I thought, I thought all this stuff was boring when I learned it myself in primary school and now I've got to teach it to other kids. And at that time, we'd actually moved to Limber on the Sunshine Coast and Jeff Lyle had an equestrian centre at Burpengary. Yes. And he had been to, he'd met Geoffrey Hatton when he was out here. So he'd been over to the Wirral and gone through his, Instructor certificate for mm-hmm. a period of time became an I, and also Gul Wadja, who was an I, was there as well. And I started having lessons with them, and then they suggested that I go to the UK and do my BHSAI because that was before the NCAS had started here. Yes. So there wasn't really a coaching pathway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I went and did that, and then when I came home, I ran the little business at Alimba with my little sister Tess. 
and we I used to teach then and I did my level one not long after I came back too with Tony Manka, who I think you mentioned in your Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, well Tony was there and he said he invited me to come and do my level one. Yeah. Yeah. So I did that. I did that then well. Then I had a little business there. My sister and I used to get buy ponies off uh, studs and then train them, break them in, train them and introduce them to the show ring mm-hmm. and then sell them. So Dad said, you know, you're spending money here. We have to find a way to make money to pay for it all. Yep. Which yep. he was good like that. He used to show us all the figure and this cost this and this mm-hmm. cost that, you know. And mm-hmm. so we did that. And we had a waiting list for those ponies. Isn't that good? <laughs> because Isn't we do it. Yeah, we do yeah. a thorough job on them. Yep. And yep. Uh, we loved all that. Yeah. So, yeah. And you enjoyed it. rewarding, really. And much more rewarding teaching riding rather than teaching primary school? Yes, because it's <laughs> a subject that, you know, I love and I'm passionate about and I enjoyed, you know, even the, obviously the courses because you're learning about stuff mm, that you're mm, interested in. Mm. So. The other thing is, too, that the kids coming in are already passionate. It's not quite like you've got to go to school, you've got to sit there and listen and do your work. It's, you know, you get to go to ride. Yes, and hopefully people feel that way. But, you know, sometimes if kids in sports, and then I realise that too, interestingly, a lot from watching my son doing tennis coaching, that kids come with different attitudes and Mm. different, um, some of them aren't all that interested and aren't all that willing to learn. And then you've got the challenge as a riding coach to try and, get that enthusiasm and that enjoyment and try and help them to develop that as well mm-hmm. because, you know, it's pretty sad if they haven't got that, isn't it? Yeah. And I watch the way the tennis coaches work with the kids and inspire them and they're just amazing. Mm. So mm. I tried to take a little bit of that on board. Yeah. And what do you think the skills are then that you've had that you can survive in the horse industry? Because a lot of people want to work in the horse industry. And they yep. might start a business that runs at a loss. They might try and work for someone else, realise that they don't want to do it. What do you think the core skills are to work in the industry? Well, you know, you definitely have to have that passion for horses and love hard work, be prepared to do whatever it takes. And you know what? Be honest and genuine and reliable because I've seen people come and go in the industry and they'll you know, rob Peter to pay Paul, if you like, because it is a tough business. But I think if you have integrity and you try and do the right thing by your horses and your clients, that you'll survive long term. And -hmm. it doesn't matter really what industry it's in, does it? No. If you've got those qualities, you'll survive in that industry, I think. Of course, you've got to be good at what you do as well and strive always to improve. And I definitely always try, you know, every day to be a better coach or a better rider. So you can give value for money to clients. Mm, mm. And what about people who've inspired you that you've learned more? You know, you've already talked about Geoffrey Hatton and Jeff Lyle. Yes, yep. Who else has inspired you? Well, I also did my intermediate instructors with Kate Hamilton. But just before that, I went with the Kingsclear near Newbury in the UK. I spent six months over there with her, which was fantastic. And because she had these schoolmaster Grand Prix horses and three-day eventers because her stable management was amazing. Okay. People used to let her have these retired advanced international horses to look after and to train people. And they were also used for eye exams and fellowship exams. But we got to ride them every day and learn how to look after them. So we'd be allocated just one horse. And Kate was absolutely fastidious about how every little thing was done with them. 
And I loved that. That was amazing to learn not only how to look after them, but then have the opportunity to ride them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because you could get in, they'd be in the indoor school, she'd have music playing, the mirrors, <laughs> and you'd sit up there, you'd come around the corner, you'd pop into shoulder in, and away they'd go, or you'd be in um, passage, and I'd be going, Kate, how do you, I've started it, how do I get it to stop? Mm. You know, amazing. They were just such incredible horses. Mm-hmm. And jumping on the events too, same thing, you know, because they're just so confident and athletic, and yeah, great okay. opportunity. And she specialised in that. Yep. Yeah. And and then I've got, of yeah. course, Sandra Pearson-Adams. I had worked for Rebecca Williams, uh, who had Hamilton Park, and mm-hmm. she had a team of really good horses and we needed a coach. And her father asked Sandra, and she was on retainer to Becky for quite some time. And, of course, Becky didn't want to have all the lessons, so I used to have them <laughs> on three horses a day. <laughs> yes. Okay. And was getting paid. So yep, yep. how lucky was I? So I had all that awesome time with her and, mm. you know, she's such an inspiration and, you know, one of the cleverest horse people you'd ever heard of really. So And, and an earlier guest on our podcast. Yes. Yes. yes, yes <laughs> so about, about number four I think she was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes, I have listened to that, of course. Yep, yep. yep. Of course. <laughs> and then um, later on also Ricky McMillan. She was keeping uh, crisp at our house, at that well, Hamilton Man, I say, our house, Hamilton Park Equestrian Centre that I was running mm-hmm. at that point. And also horses, obviously, before crisp. And that was great to have that exposure. And she was going, of course, to Germany all the time. And I said, well, can't you give me lessons as well, Ricky? And you can practice yeah. what you're learning. And, of course, I think she was training with Schulteis at that time. And Schulteis said to her, yes, you must teach because it's going to help you. Yep. Remind yourself of everything you've learned. Mm, mm. So she started coaching me and now, of course, she coaches all over Australia and, you know, a bit like Sandra, underused resource that we have here. Yes, yeah, yeah. What about horses? You've told me about your, your – what was your first horse name? Fred. Oh, oh that's right. No, you said Such that. a mouthful, yes, no. yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, I had many up there. How one um, after dark was a little black Galloway that I had. Mm-hmm. He was a, a really bad bucker and I met him in Melbourne. He was locked in a box and it was a fully closed door and they would open the door and go back, back, back with the stick and he'd knock his water over and uh, <laughs> Jeff Lyle brought him back from Melbourne after the three-day trip, which you can imagine was a long trip on the roads in those days. Mm. And he rode him as soon as he got him off the truck <laughs> and managed to, <laughs> to okay. ride him. Okay. Anyway, he used to come to our house when Jeff was away and we'd mind him. Okay. And we weren't supposed to ride him, but we'd ride him up the pine forest and around. <laughs> anyway, eventually, long story short, Dad bought him for me. Okay. And I had a lot of success. He's probably my, my most successful early show horse, for okay. sure. And what was his name? After Dark. Oh, yep. Little black horse. He, yeah, he was a Galloway and he, was, he competed at all the royals and won, I think, horse of the year three times in a row and won yep. at Brisbane and... My sister used to win all the riding comps on him too. He was such a – he turned into a really genuine little fellow and had natural flying changes. He was a great little show pony. Good, good. Kate, you keep talking about showing and you're a dressage specialist coach. So, you know, you've got dressage basics. We keep talking about showing. What's the difference between showing as a competition to dressage? Okay, well, showing, I guess, is – if you have uh, dressage, you say, like your opera singer, your technical side, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and then showing I'd say is like uh, the pop star but it's judged on um, instead of being in a set arena it's in an open graft area or opened into a school so there's no markers letters or boundaries so you have to learn to lay your workouts out in different shapes different surfaces and different environments so it's judged on how they go so the elements of the basics are the same walk trot canter the transitions you know they can be asked to do things like length and trot length and canter rain backs all those things are involved and of course the better educated your horse the more you're able to control it which is often a quite tense environment Mm-hmm. And it's also judged, of course, on the looks of the horse. So you're a really beautiful creature with correct confirmation, but probably more on the extreme side of prettiness. But they still need four correct legs, correct paces, good movement, balance, and look easily rideable. So it's not meant to look like hard work. They're meant to, a show horse should give the rider a good ride so, and an easy okay. ride, not look difficult, not look tricky. Okay. Although they often are, the art of show riding is making it look easy. And that was one of the things that Sandra was amazed with when she first saw it. She's mm-hmm. like, yeah, show riders are very clever at covering things up, she said. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then to do with a show hack, like a lot of people think a hack is just, you know, you go out for a hack or a bit of a trail ride. What's a show hack? Well, a show hack, I guess, it originally started in England with the country shows. So would bring their horse that they normally go for hacks on but who had the most beautiful one and then they'd come to the show and they'd compete against each other and my horse is prettier than your horse and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. better to ride and so on so that okay. was where it all started all right so to make a horse pretty you can yeah. get horses it's sort of like a model with makeup you know like you can see a model in the street and you wouldn't recognize them but once they're on the catwalk exactly. and they're well done up and they've got their makeup on and they've got the right clothes, they're different yes. people. How can you exactly. present a horse? And this is for anyone because they don't have to be mm. show horse to present well, but show yep. horse, it's, it's an art. If you can tell us a bit about just how you'd go, what the steps are, what the procedures are in presenting a horse well. Sure, because it's a bit like, you know, coming out of the house in your pyjamas or Mm. getting your hair and makeup done and dressing up and going out, isn't it? Yes. First of all, obviously, they need to be, it starts with the stable management. You know, they've got to be fit, healthy, feet well done, teeth taken care of, you know, the right condition, not too fat, not too skinny, fit, well muscled. So that's the art of training, isn't it, to develop a proper top line. Yes, that keeps everything in proportion. So once you have that, and it's like starting with a bit of clay because when you come to them, it can be skinny and hairy and they don't look much, but with time and conditioning and being healthy and trained, then they can totally transform. And then you've got your finishing touches, which is, you know, the tail, for instance, dyed, pulled and dyed, but give it a nice shape. That's- is that just normal hair dye? When you say pulled yeah, and dyed? Yeah, just okay. the human, um, yeah, that you buy in the packet at the supermarket. Mm-hmm. You just have to learn how to do it with, you know, pinning a rug on, pinning a towel down, pinning your equipment, your safety pins and so on. So once you put the dye in, you can wrap it around so it doesn't swish its tail and cover everybody in dye. <laughs> There's all a process that's done. So uh, usually the pulling of the tail and everything and mane, of course, to have it ready for plaiting done over a period of weeks because it's uncomfortable for the horse to, you know, take all that hair out. Because if anybody's had 
say, a streak, you know, pulled in a streak cap. That's what mm-hmm. pulling the mane can feel like to, mm-hmm. and the tail can feel like to horses. So you've got to develop a good technique of getting the hair out painlessly. And if it's done properly early on, they usually don't mind because they haven't really hurt them. I find horses that are bad to pull their mane or tails have actually had someone. I know people that actually use pliers and pull hair out, which I think oh, wow. is horrendous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to get that beauty. So mane and tail have to be pulled and ready for plaiting. You don't dye the mane because you don't really see that once it's plaited. And then they're all trimming up their legs so that that shows off their, um, you know, because they're being judged on their joints and the quality of their legs. So you want their legs to look clean and tidy, Mm -hmm. basically. And they have their ears and their muzzle done, which uh, interestingly, you know, the FEI have just banned that, haven't they? Mm -hmm. Which would be interesting to see if that filters through to show horses. Yes. And um, which I don't mind, you know, you can do a little well, bit. Well, you want to compete, but you want to compete against everyone else on the same rules. Well, yeah, but you can go too extreme. I mean, some of the Arabian ones literally shave their eyes, you know, around their eyes so that you can see the skin and then put uh, all this gloss yeah. on it. And it's like too much. Yep. And it's a bit like with people, you can have people with too much makeup. So the art of it is developing the right balance where you you know, flatter the horse without making it too unnatural. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so the makeup you use, what, what sort of makeup is it? Well, they have found there's heaps of products in the saddlery stores now that are getting really good. Okay. Different like eye sticks, you know, with black and different colours, but mainly black to highlight the bone structure and the edge of the eyes and the muzzle and, you know, chin and stuff. And then usually use a gloss over that. Some of them are like glossy, and all you need to do is wipe the muzzle and the eyes with that. It's the art of blending, really, a bit like your own makeup. But you put it on, and then you blend it out and soften it out. And we put patterns on their uh, hindquarters as well, which helps. You want a pattern that flatters the shape of your horse's quarters. So okay. So when you say pattern, it. how do you do the pattern? On the hindquarters? Patterns, you first of all, you get a water spray and a brush and you make sure you flatten all the hair in one direction. Yep. And then you get a little square tooth comb and you draw a line to starting point down the rump and then you pop in little squares and depending on the shape of the pattern, you know, whether it's triangle or square. I you know some people that are so talented they could write a name in there. But with those, but it's actually not that hard to do. It, yeah. Most of the kids can do it once they, um, once they work you know, it out. practice a little bit. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah. And, yep. it's, and if you're a show person, cause sometimes I get kids, I say, oh, your pony's so nice, we should go to a show. And they're like, no, I don't like doing that. I don't like make them pretty. Mm. They're not interested at all. Mm. So to be a show person, you've really got to be able to be, have that interest in making horses look pretty. There's got to be a lot of attention to detail then, hasn't there? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And, uh, you know, like I, I'm not interested in dressing up and going out, but I'm quite happy to dress a horse up. Yes, okay. <laughs> I'd much rather do a horse's hair and makeup than my own. <laughs> okay. All right. Now, putting on your coach's cap. Yes. What's a common problem that you see people do in the show ring that you think could be corrected? You know, that that if you saw someone in a show ring or it may even be your own students – but you need to get out there and teach it. So I need need to know not just what the problem is, but how you fix it. Yeah, I think probably the most common thing is seeing horses ridden from hand back to seat and leg instead of seat and leg towards hand. Mm-hmm. People get obsessed with getting them round and yep. 
but focus only on what the front's doing. And of course, then it really destroys the rhythm, the movement, the whole outline. And it's so easy to make a really beautiful horse look plain and a plain horse look really beautiful if you have it functioning in the right way. So I think they forget that part of making the horse look beautiful is having it going correctly. The better they go, the better they look. So yeah. that would, I would say, is the biggest thing. And they, and they, you know, I've had people literally, when you have a horse going with it, you know, pole the highest point and it's nose slightly in front of the vertical, which is correct, say that horse isn't on the bit because it's not buried. So mm. there's a bit of lack of education out there, like in all the sports with some of our judges as well. But sometimes, you know, as I say to people that I am training, the judge may not be aware of the technical process you go to to make that horse look good but they will know that it looks good they won't know might not know why Mm. but you know they're still going to see something that hopefully pleases them i'm just thinking about you know because you were saying about you know the horse going forward into the contact what did you say when you first met jeffrey hatton you wanted to get his neck arched and, can, and canter <laughs> slow. Wanted him to arch up and canter slow. Arch that's up, right. Arch up and canter slow. Right. So, <laughs> so now, now the uh, role's being reversed, isn't it? Because now, yes, 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 yes. That's, you're you're that's teaching it. people who want to arch saw, up. I saw the light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And canter slow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so now I know that that canter slow comes from riding forward first and finding balance. <laughs> You've got to have a canter before you can collect it. That's a Sandra Pearson Adams, isn't it? Yes, very much so. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Oh, hang on a sec. Let me interrupt to let people know about the horse industry qualifications at onlinehorsecollege.com. If you have a look at the flexible options, there's online theory and the practical components can be completed by video or with a qualified expert in your area. That website again is online horsecollege.com. Okay, thanks. All right, now just going on with all that, what's been your proudest moment? Well, I think, um, you know, the thing that makes you most proud is you have a lot of wins and I like, I enjoy every one of those. But when you see people achieve the goals, whether they're big or small that you've set for them, you know, or they've set for themselves really, that's what I love. Yep. Yep. I love to see that little smile come on their face, especially if you've got an unhappy horse or an unhappy little rider and then you see them really enjoying themselves. That, uh, yeah, that does it for me. I think that's spoken like a true coach, isn't it? You know, it's, <laughs> but it's those things. It's the, it's the coaching. You know, you talk about your proudest moment. It's the coaching moments rather than the riding moments. Yeah, well, you sort of don't measure your success on the titles and trophies. You sort of measure it on the, you know, the lives that you're able to affect in a good way. Mm, mm, mm. You know, that's, you know, yeah, I guess we're, that's how we feel about it. That's the way it is. Yep. No, I think that's good. All right. Now, have you got a book that you could recommend for our listeners? Well, Funnily enough, one of my favourite books when I was a kid and I still would love to refer to when I try and get other people to read it is the BHS Stable Management book. Okay, yep. Because I just feel that if people understand how to look after their horses properly, first of all, and have their horses happy and healthy, then that's, to me, a big thing and that's what I really love to try and impact with 
the show horses that I train. It's a pretty, mm-hmm. It can be a pretty tough life for horses, but it also can be an amazing life mm. if they're looked after properly because you, you won't get a better looked after horse in the world except maybe a Group 1 racehorse or a Grand Prix dressage horse. But yep. it yep. motivates people to look after them because they have to look after them to have them looking well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. No, that's good. And, and I think that's another one too that it's a good one for people starting off but you can go back then and reread it, you know, later on and go, oh, I missed that bit, I missed that bit. It's um, exactly. got a lot of very valuable information in it, yeah. You probably can get it all online now, but there's really no excuse for, you know, ignorance looking after horses these days because you can Google it all up. But I just find that that book puts it all together in a simple way. Yep, yep. Okay, now what are you looking forward to? Well, probably more of the same. I've got a great group of kids I'm working with at the moment, so I want to see them obviously reach their goals. I don't know when you get sick of that. And I'm doing, you know, doing more riding myself. I'd like to as well, more competing. I've got a racehorse here at the moment that I'm doing an off-the-track one for John Moore. It's come from Hong Kong and it was his favourite horse in the stable and lovely temperament. So I'm educating him so that he can be... uh, properly rehomed and yep. riding at shows a little bit with him and then I've still got my warm blood horse here that I have fun training on every day and mm-hmm. would like maybe to compete with him again too at some point but okay. uh, still enjoying the process. <laughs> <laughs> yes and that's you know as you say it's the valuing the process over the result isn't it? Yes yes of course. Okay how can people contact you Kate? Email katedolan at bigpond.com Mm-hmm. And they can phone me, zero four zero nine six four triple zero six, and I'm also on Facebook. Okay, is that just Kate Dolan on Facebook? Yes. Cool. Yep. All right. Look, what um, what we'll do too is we'll put it up on your page on Horse Chats, which will be horsechats.com/slash Kate Dolan. Terrific. All right. Great talking All to right. you today, Kate, and hopefully we'll talk to you another time. All righty. Thanks, Glennis. Bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 